Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. Because he's found guilty of this other crime, they're then able to say, well, he was our main suspect back in 1989. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. It was a case that rocked the small town of Lakeville back in 1989. On a Sunday morning in 1989, four members of an Indiana family were found dead in their own home. Reverend Robert Pelly was found with two bullet holes in his body. His wife, Dawn, was found entwined with the bodies of her two young daughters, Janelle, eight, and Jolene, six. Not at the scene were three of Robert and Dawn Pelly's other children, including their 17-year-old son, Jeff, who'd attended the local prom the night before. Jeff Pelly would later be arrested and eventually convicted of the murders. But over the years, he's maintained his innocence. And now he's asking for a new trial. Now this week, Pelly's defense argue he'd received bad counsel during that first trial back in 2006, and that the prosecution failed to follow up with a key piece of evidence in that case. Madison Stacy joins us from WTHR in Indianapolis. Madison, introduce us to this case, which dates back to a Sunday in 1989, when a pastor at a church in St. Joseph County, Indiana, doesn't show up for morning service and some parishioners start to grow concerned. You're exactly right. And unfortunately, this is one of those cases that the prom night murders moniker has sort of defined this very small town in northern Indiana for a long time. A really heartbreaking case, you know, four people shot to death in their home, including two very young girls, Um, a pastor and his wife shot as well. Um, And, you know, like you said, the morning of April 30th, parishioners at the Olive Branch Church are very concerned because their pastor hasn't showed up for service. And a few of the members of the congregation managed to get a key to the parsonage that's next to the church. It's the home where he lives with his family. And they opened the door to a massacre, really. Um, Reverend Robert Peely, his wife Dawn, and her two young girls, Janelle, who is eight, and Jolene, who is six, are all found in the home, shot dead. Robert was found upstairs in the hallway, and Dawn and her two girls are found in the basement of the parsonage. And so immediately when police arrive on scene, they reportedly rule out a home invasion, They believe that whoever did this was close to the family, in part because they can't find a weapon and a gun that had reportedly been in the family's possession was also missing. Three of the family's other children are also missing from the home. Jessica, who was at a friend's house for a sleepover, and Jackie, who was at a church camp event. Um, But Robert's 17-year-old son, Jeff, had gone to senior prom the night before at the local high school, and he was at an amusement park near Chicago when police found the bodies. And immediately, that's who they suspect, because they learned that Robert Pelly had grounded him for stealing some CDs and some money a few weeks before the murder. And 
they had allegedly fought in the days prior to prom and Robert had told him, you know, he wouldn't be able to go to any of the after prom activities. He wouldn't be able to drive his car to prom. So because Jeff did have the car and was at this amusement park thing with his friends, that's kind of a continuation of prom celebrations. Um, they suspect him and they keep investigating, but, um, they never find a murder weapon, but already they've sort of built their case against the pastor's 17 year old son, Jeff. You mentioned that, there was a shotgun missing from the home. Was the belief among investigators that that shotgun was the murder weapon? They initially suspected more so that whoever had shot them knew them intimately. I don't think that they necessarily had, um, they weren't specifically convinced that that was the weapon immediately. But yes, and do kind of course they came to believe that that would be the murder weapon but there's also they don't go in super hard on any one piece of evidence in this case so much as they go in on jeff and he did this and here's why and we're going to keep sort of looking for him but yes there was that initial suspicion of he probably took the 20 gauge shotgun um but you know, to this day, we still don't have a murder weapon in this case. So I think retroactively, I don't know if I would be comfortable saying like, yes, they did believe that that was the murder weapon um, because their own story has sort of shifted over the years, even in terms of how many um, shell casings the suspect or whoever they thought did this um, had used to commit the crime. And so police start to believe Jeff Pelly the 17-year-old, killed these four of his family members and that he would have carried out this horrific crime right before heading off to prom that Saturday night. Yeah, they um, they really believe that the motive here was rage at his father and then that he had to then kill his stepmother and two young stepsisters um, in order to, to go to prom. And that was their working motive for a number of years. But they don't... And they follow that... In the weeks after the murders, very intently, they even watched Jeff at the funeral of his family members, and he's reportedly very stoic, and that struck them as odd. But any evidence that they're able to gather against him is all circumstantial. Um, And so, you know, 13 years go by, and they still haven't brought charges against him. So investigators had these suspicions about Jeff Pelly almost immediately. But as you mentioned, he wasn't arrested for another 13 years. Why did that take so long? Right. Well, in, in 1994, Jeff is found guilty of trying to commit wire fraud. And so an investigator named Craig Whitfield, um, who at the time was with the Mishawaka Police Department, and he was a cold case investigator, Like I had kind of mentioned, this was a case that had stuck with people. And so when Jeff was charged with wire fraud in 1994, they're able to kind of build a case, but they don't have any new evidence necessarily. But because he's found guilty of this other crime, they're then able to say, well, he was our main suspect back in 1989 of the murder of his family. So this cold case investigator starts to 
sort of rebuild the case against Jeff Pelley. And he's finally charged in 2002. So the timeline here is the crime occurred in 1989. Pelley was arrested and charged in 2002. He would then go on trial in 2006. What was the outcome of that trial? He was found guilty on four counts of murder. Um, He faced 260 years in prison. He ended up receiving 160 years in prison. He immediately appealed that. And that guilty conviction was overturned in 2008. But then it was upheld a year later by the Supreme Court of Indiana, the Indiana Supreme Court. So he was found guilty. Jeff Pelley has continued to maintain his innocence, which is what brings us to the latest news that you've been reporting, this most recent hearing. Take us through what happened. So this is a post-conviction relief hearing. So for the purposes of this case, he's not so much trying to present new evidence. He's trying to get a new trial, right? And he's trying to do that by proving that his original defense team back in 06 was ineffective and that they didn't pursue key witnesses. So he's working with a lawyer named Fran Watson, and she's a part of the Indiana University's law school's wrongful conviction clinic. And there are really two main points that Kelly's defense team is now trying to make. According to court filings, he said that the prosecutor's actions during his original trial in 2006 were deceptive and reckless. And at the center of that argument is a pair of jeans, because in the 2006 trial, prosecutors told the jury that a pair of jeans witnesses had seen Pelly in a day before the family was found dead in the parsonage had been washed in the laundry machine. And they sort of used that to establish that Pelly had gotten up the day of prom, put on those jeans, killed his family, washed the jeans because they were bloody, and then gone to prom. So this became a big point during his relief hearing because his lawyer said that she couldn't find any evidence that police at that time had documented the jeans came from the washer. They may have come from somewhere else. And she really questioned Craig Whitfield, who, like I said, was the original investigator who brought the probable cause against Pelly in 2002. And Whitfield ended up testifying that first day of the hearing that he didn't see photos or documents of the genes being in the wash himself, and that he read that they were found in the washer, but he couldn't remember where he read that. The other point the defense is trying to prove is that the original 2006 defense team didn't pursue um, some key information from a witness named Tony Beeler. She had said that Robert Pelly confided in her just a few days before this murder that he had concerns that some old contacts in Florida had found out where he was living in in Indiana and that he used to move money for the mob and he had concerns that they had somehow found his location through the church. And she claimed that she went to police with this information back in 2003, but So that would have been before the 2006 trial, but that she was ignored. But what they're more so tried, what they more so tried to prove in this hearing was that there was a video of Beeler's interview with police back in 2003 that Pelly's original defense team did not pursue again in that 2006 trial. Um, So they're essentially trying to prove that both the prosecution was. not forthright to the jury in that original trial and that he could have had a 
much better defense potentially that could have led to a different outcome for him. As you mentioned, the state Supreme Court has already upheld or affirmed Pelly's conviction back in 2009. Why does his legal team think things might be different this time around? Well, I think that they, the amount of evidence that they're trying to bring, because it's not necessarily new evidence, right? From the time he was charged in 2002, even to now, this isn't new evidence. This is unpursued evidence. So they really believe that because they can, you know, they're just hoping to prove that there are other potential motives in this case for people other than Jeff Pelly to have committed this murder. And there's just sort of unexplored leads. And that's more so why they believe it's not, it's less of a new evidence or they have this kind of you know, thing in their back pocket that they're now saying, look at we what we didn't look at. It's more look at these multiple avenues that went unexplored in his original trial, and he deserves to have a new one. So Pelly's team had a chance to present these new arguments recently. What's next for that? When will we know whether or not Jeff Pelly will be granted a new trial? We may not know for a couple weeks or a couple months. Um, in trials like this, judges don't have a time limit on when they have to decide. Um, so St. Joseph Superior Judge Stephanie Steele is going to be the one to make that decision on whether he will be given a new trial or not. If she rules against him, he could still appeal that in federal court, but the likelihood of him being granted a new trial um through that avenue is much smaller um, than if it were to be granted in this court. Um, So a lot of people say that in many ways, this is his last chance at any potential exoneration. Madison Stacey with WTHR in Indianapolis. Thanks for sharing this story. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thanks, as always, to you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. If you're looking for more podcasts, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows. That includes our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.